0: Good day, everyone, and welcome back to the John White Project. I'm telling you, it's kind of hard to pick a theme song. You've got so many songs to choose from, I think I might just have to write one of my own. Actually, that was a suggestion from one of the guys in the bands that I'm in, so uh, eh, who knows? You might have a uh, John White Project uh, masterpiece musical intro coming in time to come. Uh, before I get going, I, um, I wanted to touch on something. Um, now, these, these are averages. One in seven men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year. And 11,000 men in North America die of prostate cancer each year. Now, they're not fantastically huge numbers. But each one of those people had families. Um, we don't have the, uh, as, as I was told, the popular cancer. I was told I had the, uh, the good kind of cancer because it was treatable, because it's not a high-profile cancer like breast cancer or pancreatic cancer or, uh, you know, child infancy cancer. I got to tell you, there, there is no good kind of cancer. Uh, once you've got cancer, whether it be, you know, the good kind, quote unquote, or not, you're living with that uh, anvil over your head all the time. Is it going to kill me? Am I going to beat this? Once you've had the surgery, am I? is that it? Is it done? Please don't make light of, of people's cancers. And you know what? You You'd honestly think that you wouldn't need to be told that, but Yeah, yeah, some people really need to be told that. I have the good kind of cancer because it's easily treatable. You know what? More and more men are being diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer and younger and younger at a more risky stage all the time. I mean, I believe Ben Stiller was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer at 44. Uh, Sir Elton John, Sir Rod Stewart, I mean, they all were diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now... They kept their stories quiet, unlike me, who is pretty much broadcasting it from the top of the mountains to anybody who will listen, uh, because I want to make sure that men take their health seriously. I want to make sure that, um, you know, prostate cancer is something that you don't shy away from um, because it's a part of our sexual reproductive system. It makes it ooh more taboo. You know what? we need to discuss this more and more you know what just not in the doctor's office just not with your wife significant other i mean you need to be able to discuss this with your band of brothers um you need guys in your life that uh, will rally around you uh, i at least recently listened to a podcast And he described guys as the 3 a.m. friends. Those are the guys that uh, will answer the phone, that already have their pants up their legs saying, what's wrong? Where do you want me to meet you? What can I do? You know, those are the guys that we all need in our lives. Those are the friends that we all strive to be but never seem to achieve. There are a few rare ones out there. So, men, you really need to get a, a band of brothers together. Um, that's, that's what I got to say. Um, as a musician, um, the band of brothers that I've got are, are pretty awesome and spectacular. I have a few 3am friends in my life. Um, and I wonder if I would be that 3am friend for them, but I know I've got guys that, uh, will drop everything at the drop of a hat to come and find out what's going on. How can they help? What can be done? So gentlemen, find your band of brothers, make sure that uh, there is no stigma that uh, you cannot talk about. Uh, Once you end up, if you end up being diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, everywhere you go, uh, there will be a time when you're dropping your pants and you're showing off your junk. (laughs) Which brings me to a funny story. Um, The prostate cancer group has a very few and Famously funny guys, Um, no names, um, but we were discussing stories of dropping trow and showing our junk and um, this one gentleman said, you know, it became such a routine that, you know, no matter what doctor's office or clinic or specialist or whatever, he would just end up, you know, on the bed undoing his pants, dropping trowel, you know, standing, dropping trowel. That's how you take your Lupron shots. You stand, drop your pants, and they stick it in your behind. He was telling us a funny story about the dentist office. <laughs> I, I think you can guess where I'm going here. He uh, he sat down in the dentist's chair. Uh, the The dental assistant turned around, put on her mask. He started undoing his belt, undoing his pants. She turned around, what, what are you doing? And then he realized that this visit was for his mouth and not for a southern region. Um, He told the assistant what was going on, what he'd been going through. They had a bit of a laugh, but (laughs) I I don't think she's ever seen him again. So there you go, gentlemen. um, If you're shy, get over it because it's not going to last long. Before we get into this, um, something that's been laying heavy on my mind Um, And people mean, well, I I know they do. I know they do. But if someone tells you about an intimate part of their body that has cancer, again, please don't relate it to, um, yeah, my neighbor's dog had cancer and uh, yeah, I know what you're going through. Or my aunt's bird died of cancer or, you know, my uncle Charlie's fish had cancer and we, you know, we had to flush them. It's not the same. And if they're letting you into that part of their life, you know what? They, they probably don't want you to comment or, or even relate. They want you to empathize. They want to know that they can go to you and you will listen to them. All right? That's that's what they want. They want an ear. Um, and in time, they might want empathy. And if that's the way that you can relate to them, then, you know, that's fine. But uh, it's like being told you have good cancer. You're undermining their whole thing of what they're going through. You're making light of it. And it's something to them that is... Earth shaking and devastating. So please, I mean I, I know people mean well. It doesn't come across like that in people's minds. Okay, back to the story. So this is basically episode one, part two. Uh, what now? What do you do when the doctor tells you you have cancer? Only this one is again. So we get the blood tests done after the surgery, which we thought was very successful. And there is a little bit of PSA in the blood test. The testosterone is lowered because I have had that one Lupron shot. You get the Lupron shots every four months. So again, they wait another three months to do the blood test. Uh, I have had another Lupron shot in that time. So I have two Lupron shots in my body, lowering the testosterone, which is basically starving the prostate cancer. We got the blood work back. Testosterone was undetectable, which was what we wanted. We wanted to make sure that the cancer had nothing to eat. But the PSA numbers were there. Now they were low numbers. They were within what they called the range, but they were minimum range. So again, we waited another three months. We, um, we got the blood work back again. Again, the testosterone was undetectable, but the PSA level had risen a little bit. So that's, that's when the specialist turned to me and said, we didn't get it all. So we're going to have to, uh, go with the radiation along with the hormone therapy. Now, the hormone therapy is the Lupron. So I I chose to go on a uh, 24-month long trial of Lupron. Uh, Apparently, they've got a six-month plan, or I guess guess an eight-month plan. And they've got the 18-month plan, which basically works out to be uh, 24 months until the Lupron's all in your system, and then it starts to go out. So we, uh, we, we prepared for it. I, you know what? It's funny. I knew, I knew going in that it wasn't all gone. I don't know whether you want to call it an intuition or or whatever. I just knew that they did not remove all of it from my body. Maybe, you know, that was, that was just, uh, my God's way of letting me know that, um, he's got me, he's going to protect me. And, uh, We just need to make sure that your story is a good one. So here we go. So back to the hospital I go. And um, again, uh, the Lupron shots are done at the hospital. So you go in, you check in. Um, They make sure that you have your bladder full, uh, like 500 mils of water, um, half a liter. And then they make sure that your bowel is empty because they want to make sure where they're shooting the radiation is where it's supposed to go. So you need a full bladder. So that needs to be inflated so it actually lifts up the area where they're going to shoot in that radiation. Now, the radiation doctor, the specialist, yeah, okay, there's the Lupron. I can't even think of the word. I'll just call him the specialist um told us as we were preparing for this it's not like the tanning bed you know slash bombardment of radiation that it used to be um it's more narrowed refined beams of radiation but it's still kind of like a shotgun blast going off so it's it's gonna cover a wide area but not like your entire body like it used to be so they had to map out the area. So that's why I was in getting the CT scan done. Um, so what they do is they put you on the bed. Again, here we go, drop in the pants. Now, th- the crew, they are all very professional, but they are all very much the same age as my daughter. So, you know, it, it's its kind of uncomfortable. That's at the doctor's office, it's one thing, but it's, it's different when you're dealing with people that are the ages of your children, but you know what? I got over it again. It was saving my life. That's what I needed to keep telling myself that, you know what? These guys are professionals. They're seeing junk all the time. So here we go. So they, they put you on, on the table. They, they drop your pants. They, you've got the gown on, but it, I mean, it's, it's pulled up and you've got another gown kind of covering over some of your junk, but, some of it's out. So they line you up. They, they lift the table. They move the table. They pretty much get you on one of those, um, you know, Canadian Tire level things where it levels everything with the laser light. So I've got a laser beam pointing on my left butt cheek. And they put a little tattoo circle mark on my left butt cheek. They do it on the right butt cheek. Now, this is up towards, you know, the center of your body, so the middle of my, I guess, hip, I guess. And then they put another one slightly below and off to the side of your belly button. I joked with them and said, hey, if you're tattooing, can you get a big heart that says mom on it? I guess they'd heard that one before because nobody laughed and they just kind of continued on. Oh, almost like my children, just kind of ignoring me. (laughs) So they mapped out my insides. They gave me little circle tattoos, um, and and then I had to wait. Uh, so this was probably I had the surgery in August. I went back to work in November, and that was a very difficult thing. I was working twelve hour shifts, so that was that was pretty intense with the Lupron. Um, 7 to 7, 12 hour shifts. So if you're working night shift, you're working 7 p.m. to 7 in the morning. You work in day shift, you were working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So I went back November, had December. Um, well, I had two weeks of December off because of Christmas, New Year's. Uh, went back in January. Again, continued on with the Lupron shots. Um, I guess they did another couple of blood tests. Um Again, the PSA levels were there. The testosterone was way down. So that was 2018. I had my surgery. This was 2019. So I guess getting prepared for 2019 at the end of the year, I had my radiation set and it started at the end of January 2020. So... I was dog tired. I had gone in and I told the nurse, you know, I'm this this work in twelve hours is killing me. The hot flashes are, you know, they, there were times where I had to change shirts in the middle of shift. There was actually two times where I actually had to change my pants and my shirt because I was just sweating so much. Uh, I have an excellent crew at work. My mood swings were were not as prevalent as evident at work but they were pretty evident at home um i wasn't noticing them but my wife was so i gave her permission to let me know that when i started getting edgy she was to let me know and i was going to try and deal with that the hot flashes on the other hand uh started becoming a regular thing um the urologist gave me pills effexor which were supposed to um Take away or deter the effects of of the hot flashes. Uh, what it did is it scheduled them. So at seven p.m., um, I'd be sitting on the couch and I'd have to take off my shirt. Now you got to remember this was throughout the entire summer, going into winter. I was sitting in shorts on my couch because. A random hot flash would come. I'd have to take off my shirt and I'd be sitting there in shorts. So asking if the room was cold was never a good idea for me because I would never know. I was always hot. That was the way it was. <laughs> I tell you, it, it got out of hand um, for a while. They had to up the dose of, um, of Effexor for me so that uh, so that I could get the hot flashes under control. I'm so glad that uh, they did that, but it did nothing. Um, it just scheduled them on on throughout everything. Um, but during this, I started writing down different effects of the different drugs that I was on, or what they were doing. Uh, I don't know if whether, whether I mentioned in the first episode or not, I um when I was diagnosed, after it sunk in. And, and believe me, it takes some time to sink in. Um, we told my parents, we told my kids, we told the stepkids, we told the family. Um, I drove to certain people's homes to let them know in person that, um, you know, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, it was stage two. It's not like I'm going to die tomorrow. I'll probably die of old age before I die of prostate cancer. Side note. Um, I'm not going to say every person of a certain age gets prostate cancer, but most men get prostate cancer as they get older. Most men who have prostate cancer as they get older die of old age. It's just the way our bodies work. Our testosterone starts to deplete in our bodies and the hunger for the testosterone from the prostate becomes larger and larger. So our bodies are incredibly made. We are, what is it, wonderfully and awesomely made or fearfully made. Um, Yeah, the creator really knew what was going on there. So as we grow older, the prostate gets hungry for the testosterone to cause cancer. And as we get older, the testosterone level in our bodies starts to fade, so as not to give us cancer or all of us prostate cancer as it may be. Uh, As I was saying, I, I have to give a shout out to my wife for suggesting that I journal this journey. So I created a Facebook group and I was journaling things. And recently, as I've been thinking, I've been going back and looking at the things And making sure that the podcast is going to be as accurate as possible. So a big shout out to Joy, my wife, for encouraging me to uh, document things. It took a lot of stress off my mind. Uh, It gave me something else to focus on, um, which which you need. You need that because you're going to walk around with this um, anvil over your head all the time. Um, somebody in one of the cancer groups said, you know, cancer, even after you, you beat it or after the radiation is done or after the surgery, it's always like this stalker lurking behind you, always playing with your mind. And gentlemen, again, that's a good reason to have a band of brothers to lift your spirits to help you get through this. All right. I digress. Um, I think I've pretty much said enough of, uh, the Lupron, the Lupron story continues by the way. Um, it is July 7th, 2021. I am, I have had my last LupeRon shot in April and, uh, man, I have reacted poorly, poorly to this one. Um, I'll I'll get into that later. That'll be another podcast on uh, on my uh, my mental journey, as it were. But I just wanted to uh, let you guys know that uh, I'm doing well. Um, this podcast is helping me uh, get out of the funk that I was in, um, and so are the friends that I've been telling my journey to. Um, that I've been writing. I've been writing poems. Uh, I am a singer-songwriter-bass player, Um, so the music did help. Uh, There was a time during the dark days, we'll call them, that uh, not even music would help. That's when I got into uh, really meditating on the books of the Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, um, and uh, the Bible study that I was asked into has helped me tremendously. All right. I'm going to leave you with my uh, words of wisdom. Be honest. Be true to yourself. Be a good human. Love one another. Peace. I'm out. We'll see you next time on the John White Project.